Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. And welcome in. It's the Tuesday Three Martini Lunch. And as we advertised yesterday, Jim and I are both at home now, writing out COVID-19, but uh, the virtual bar is still open, so your stool is still here, and we're glad you're with us. Jim, before we get to the good, bad, and crazy martinis today... I know you're really happy about something that could easily pass for a good martini. Your long national nightmare is over. The 20 years of Tom Brady as quarterback of the New England (laughs) Patriots has come to an end. Uh, There's some dark days in America right now. So uh, this giant ray of sunshine came at a good time for you. You know, Greg, between the cancellation of the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Boston and uh, the reports that Brady is, it's, it's official, there will be no last minute deal Tom Brady is leaving the New England Patriots. I think every Patriot fan in the country right today is just feeling, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Deflated? <laughs> I'd also note there's a rumor that he could end up with the Dolphins. So we could just end up seeing him twice a year in a different uniform, which would be some sort of appropriate uh, Sisyphean punishment for all of us. Uh, I also would like to salute, I mean, if, you know, it hasn't been nearly as much big news as what's going on in the with the coronavirus, but... Uh, Greg, I'm glad to see that the New York Jets organization has decided to practice uh, safe social distancing from all of the desirable free agent players. <laughs> not even reaching out to them, not even making good offers. Wow. Well, we should point out that uh, except for the year he blew out his knee in 2008, the Patriots won the division every year since 2002. That was the last time they didn't win the division with Patriots, the starting quarterback. But Jim, I know the Jets up against Tom Brady did not go well overall over the past 20 years but in the postseason the Jets are 1-0 against Brady Brady could never take out the Jets in the postseason yeah amen you know take take that you know that that's always going to be a tarnish on his record um <laughs> now one of the ways to do that is to just avoid being in the playoffs for a lot of years so the Jets have been really good at over the last 20 years all details we should point out that we're sponsored today by NetSuite by Oracle you can schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide six ways to run a more profitable business at netsuite.com slash martini much more on that a little bit later in the podcast but Jim let's get to our good martini And we'll always uh, take one of those, especially right now. But uh, yesterday at the White House, Anthony Fauci of uh, NIH, who has been kind of the point man on the actual biology of this virus, uh, had a very important announcement to make about the progress towards a vaccine. The vaccine candidate that was given the first injections for the first person took place today. You might recall when we first started, I said it would be two to three months. And if we did that, that would be the fastest we've ever gone from obtaining the sequence to being able to do a phase one trial. This has been now 65 days, which I believe is the record. Uh, What it is, it's a trial of 45 normal individuals between the ages of 18 and 55. The trial is taking place in Seattle. There will be two uh, injections, one at zero day, first one, Then 28 days, there will be three separate doses, 25 milligrams, 100 milligrams, 250 milligrams, and the individuals will be followed for one year, both for safety and whether it induces the kind of response that we predict would be protective. And that's exactly what I've been telling this group over and over again. So it's happened. The first injection was today. There you go, Jim. They were saying uh, two to three months to even get into a trial, 12 to 18 months to actually have it. 
widespread, and we still don't know how well these trials will work. But the fact that they got to this point in what Fauci says is record time from sequencing this to actually being able to test it means that we're getting serious about it. Maybe we got started a little later than we should have, but uh, this is a good sign. Yeah, I think the you know getting started later than we should have is is kind of incontrovertible at this point. Um, look, at a time like this, we're going to be looking for any bit of good news we can find, and this one uh, definitely counts. And the fact that it's coming from Dr. Fauci does indicate that this is not some pie in the sky, you know, uh, wildly optimistic rumor or or something like that. Uh, it's only the first step, and there are many steps ahead. But I, I think it's safe to say that considering the stakes of the coronavirus. Everyone involved in the vaccine process is going to be working this as quickly as they can. Now, look, when you develop a vaccine, you have a certain amount of caution of, okay, are there potential side effects of this? I remember one of the uh, discussions back during the post 9-11 days when people were very worried about bioterror. And I think in particular, smallpox was the scenario that created the look like the ultimate nightmare scenario. Administering the smallpox was going to have, I think it was something like a 1% fatal reaction in people, the smallpox vaccine. And the question was, do you do that to prevent, you know, greater deaths caused by a, a smallpox outbreak? These are the kind of decisions that, uh, that medical professionals and health experts are going to be confronting over the course of this. I think right now, most everybody's attitude is, let's get the coronavirus out, you know, uh, vaccine out there as quickly as possible. Obviously, you want to keep an eye on, does it have side effects? Are they going to, you know, exacerbate uh, issues for other people? Um, but again, a very good positive first step. One of the reports that had kind of come over the weekend, look, most people noticed even before the coronavirus began to you know, dominate our lives that we had a really bad flu season this year. And a lot of people have started to wonder, hey, you know, probably not in December or before then, but in January and particularly into February, how many people who said, oh man, I had the flu this year, it was really bad. Um, were any of those potentially cases of the coronavirus? And if it was floating around the United States uh, a couple weeks earlier than we thought it was, then maybe this thing is working its way through our systems and through our country a little bit faster uh, than we thought it was. None of this means stop washing your hands. None of this means stop doing any of the uh, uh, current restrictions and precautions and steps that we're currently taking. But there are occasional signs that this may not be quite as bad as the uh, truly drastic nightmare scenarios coming. That having been said, I don't think we can necessarily count on any of them. So let's be prepared for the worst and hope for the best. Yes, as uh, patients of cancer and and other uh, ailments and diseases looking for a cure, they know that clinical trials take a frustratingly long time sometimes. So just because they've started with the trials doesn't mean that we're going to get a quick answer here, but uh, hopefully that will be the case. Uh, Jim, obviously it's been a rough financial stretch here as well. In less than a month, the Dow Jones has basically lost about a third of its value. It's slightly up at last check late Tuesday morning. Hopefully it uh, continues to do that. But uh, with all the roller coaster rides the last few days, we don't know exactly where it's going. And that's why it's more important than ever for businesses to know exactly where they stand financially. And having the right systems in place is a critical way to make sure that you do. So what do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tacovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite by Oracle to accelerate their growth because successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you simply must have the right tools. And if you want to take your company from either 2 million to 10 million or 10 million to hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools to turbocharge your growth. Turbocharge your growth as if you're Purell. Uh, With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, human resources, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. 
NetSuite will give you the visibility and control that you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It is the last system you'll ever need. NetSuite. Business grows here. So schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Six Ways to Run a More Profitable Business at netsuite.com slash martini. That's netsuite.com slash martini, netsuite.com slash martini. And Jim, just as an aside on the the business front, uh, I've noticed that some uh, perfume makers are now shifting, at least temporarily, to making hand sanitizers. I don't know if it's for Purell or for many others, but uh, it kind of smacks of uh, factories going to uh, war footing back in World War II. It's obviously not going to be on that scale economy-wide, but it's it's uh, interesting to watch and uh, good on that. There was a report of a distillery doing the same thing, Greg, and I was like, wow, we really are all sacrificing. All right, well, let's move on to our bad martini now, Jim. And uh, we called it uh, coronavirus cancel culture last week. And that was when all the sports leagues were shutting down and schools were announcing that they were going to be closed for weeks on end and so forth. And uh, now it's getting even more intense. We talked yesterday about how public gatherings in some places were down officially to, to 250. And then in Virginia and some other places, it was down to 100. Other places said 50. Then Trump yesterday said 10, and you and I were joking last night that uh, there could be some large families that can't all eat dinner together if this continues much longer. That's for the next 15 days. Obviously, they're trying to go as intense as possible to flatten the curve and get us back to normal as quickly as possible, although Trump did say yesterday that it could be until July or August until things are back to normal, which would be crushing in a number of ways, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, But Jim, you've got San Francisco now ordering shelter-in-place citywide. You have to have a reason to be out, such as a doctor's appointment or going to the grocery store or a pharmacy, anything else. They're going to send you back home. Uh, De Blasio in New York says he's considering the same thing, although Governor Cuomo, who's not good friends, by the way, with Mayor de Blasio, says there will never be a lockdown in New York City. Uh, You've also got a fight over alternate side of the street parking in New York City. Uh, and on and on and on. So, uh, Jim, it's almost like there's a reverse bidding war going on here for who can be the the toughest in the lockdown atmosphere. You know, I wrote a lot about this in the morning, Joel, today, that, you know, first of all, if you're wondering, how can the state do something like this? As I, you know, mentioned earlier in the week, every state government has an authority to enforce quarantines, uh, usually through a state health department, and you see a very similar situation with, with most localities, So yeah, they do have the power to say, this place is off limits, you can't go here, stuff like that. I've heard some people arguing, well, doesn't that usually apply when you're trying to keep infected people away from uninfected people? And I, you know, yeah, that's traditionally how it's example. The problem is right now, we don't know who's infected and who's not infected. Um, Now this is going to be, you know, a complicated way to balance this. I think as I have a corner post that's in the works here, where you know, you have to have a heart of stone to not sympathize with the DC restaurants who heard about the shutdown proposed by Mayor Muriel Bowser and were like, no, we're not going to do that. We believe we can serve our customers safely. And this means, you know, we have to lay people off. We could very well end up going bankrupt. We can't do this. This is our livelihood. You know, you have to be, you you, you know, these are not people who are being mean or careless or or who don't care. They want to keep their businesses open. Um, and they may not survive a, a lengthy period in which people are forbidden from going to restaurants. So you, you have to have a great deal of sympathy for this. On the other hand, these governments are trying to prevent, you know, people, particularly the elderly and the immunocompromised from dying. And that's a pretty darn compelling state interest here. 
where I think it gets interesting, I was, I was kind of pleased because a lot of reports, New Jersey was going to have a curfew. And as of this point, it's just the governor saying, I don't recommend you go out from, I think it's 10 p.m. to 5, a, to 5 a.m. Um, I don't, you know, at no point, this is not having the enforcement of law. They're not talking punishments. And even in Hoboken, where they said, yes, this is one, the mayor was pretty clear. This is going to be a very polite curfew or very diplomatic curfew, which is not usually words you see thrown together. He says, we're not worried about the person going to work or coming from work. We're not worried about the dog walker. We're mostly worried about people who are not taking this seriously. Um, so as long as we're not talking about actual arrests, uh, by the way, grabbing people and putting them into jail probably doesn't seem like in the county, you know, local lockup does probably doesn't sound like a good way of preventing the spread of uh, coronavirus because Greg, what do you do if there's nine people in lockup? <laughs> Got to build you know, one. Look, if this is merely an effort to get uh, using the, the, you know, authority of the state to discourage people from going out uh, and recommending they follow these sorts of guidelines, fine. I don't think anyone's going to have any real issue with this. The moment you start saying, yes, we are going to arrest people. And that's what they have been discussing in San Francisco and the surrounding counties. I don't know if, as of this conversation, no one's been arrested that I know of. I'm not so sure this is such a good idea. Once you get into that, then you're getting draconian. Then you're getting into authoritarian regimes. Then you're getting into something that uh, um, is deeply frustrating. And I think we'll, we'll eventually get some serious pushback. This CDC rule of don't get together in groups of more than, yesterday it was, was it 50 or was it 10? It was 50 from the CDC on Sunday. Okay, and now the government's saying 10 people. Uh, as I said, it feels like this bizarre reverse bidding war of how many people, you know, at some point somebody out there is going to say, oh yeah, Katie Hill, no more thruples. You know, everybody's got to start separating. Uh, th- at some point, we're going to have some serious pushback against this. And, and as, of, as is, we've already effectively slammed the brakes of our economy and we're just basically keeping everything in neutral. You can only keep Americans indoors for so long. Uh, the weather's getting nicer. People, Amer- human beings are social animals. I don't know if we can make it eight weeks of nobody going out and interacting in businesses. I, I don't think most restaurants and bars have two weeks or two months worth of, of you know, uh, reserves set aside for, for circumstances like this. You can argue that they should, but a lot of them don't. And we do want people to be, you know, to have their livelihoods in place after this. So I'm not quite sure how this is going to go. I think it's a good idea for cities and localities, you know, exercise this with a certain amount of, you know, just as you want the citizens to exercise caution, let's have our local governments and our state governments exercise this with caution. The moment somebody starts getting, you know, power mad about this uh, is the moment you're going to completely undo all, you know, whatever remaining public faith there is in the authority and the trust of, of uh, state and gov- local government. And uh, then we start into some real problems. All right, well, let's move on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And uh, as we mentioned yesterday, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has kind of been at the tip of the spear here in uh, canceling things and banning things, uh, restaurants and bars. And I think he's barred gyms from being open now, um, which all the couch potatoes are going to be saying, oh, honey, I'd love to go to the gym, but I can't see. Sorry. Uh, But uh, now he's uh, shut down today's Ohio Democratic presidential primary. And so he did that yesterday. Uh, that was challenged very quickly, and a federal judge said no. That would set a terrible precedent. I understand the circumstances that led you to make that decision, but uh, we can't set that precedent. The system must continue. So the election was back on, and then DeWine just said, no, no, we're not going to do it. I don't care what you said. And so it's not going to happen. And so, Jim, obviously a fierce debate has erupted now. Uh, can we really have a, a system set up where you have to vote? It would have to be in person today. Uh, where you're going to be standing in line, and obviously you're going to be in close quarters, hard to social distance if you're in in a line that's uh, of any length. But at the same time, you don't want to 
shut down the constitutional process and uh, suggest that there's a precedent for either postponing or possibly even canceling elections. So who's right here? Sure. A lot to unpack here, but it's an important point to note. The Ohio State Supreme Court was, had the final say on this. Uh, they made their decisions as of this morning, was lucky early enough to get in the, uh, uh, at least on the morning websites, I don't know if the print editions of the Ohio papers. A lot of people in Ohio went to bed thinking they were having a primary today after the legal back and forth. Um, and it turns out that they will not. Uh, and I, my understanding is, as of right before we got on here, that people were still showing up to the polls in a bit of confusion to find out that they weren't having a primary. So two questions. For, I have a bunch of Ohio Republicans whose opinions I respect have been really critical of DeWine. I, I guess there, there's a perception that he's overreacting out there. Um, DeWine was the one who said it's possible students will not go back to school uh, until fall, which I think freaked out every parent in the entire country uh, to see someone speak, to have someone you know, floating that possibility. Um, as for the election, I, I, I recognize it's easier for me sitting in Virginia to say, yeah, Ohio should push back its primary. There's no need to have it today. Um, in part because, look, the Democratic presidential primary is effectively resolved. There are two potentially competitive primaries for the de- for House seats and not for the Democrats. Beyond that, there, there's really just not a heck of a lot at stake. So from where I sit, that you know, not a lot changes if you have it in May or, or even later than if you have it today. I don't think primary dates are sacrosanct. And it is worth noting that DeWine didn't say, you know, by executive order, I'm ending the elections. He said, I'm recommending it. We're going to file a suit. Somebody, one of the candidates filed a countersuit. Um, and I, I was there, I made a point in the jolt that this was not dictatorial. This was in keeping with our checks and balances. It is worth noting at one point, DeWine said, even if the courts disagree, I'm going to shut down the elections. And I or it's something made comments along those lines, which I think is not helpful. We, we need to honor our checks and balances. We do not, you know, we have governors, we do not have dictators. They do not single-handedly, uh, make these sorts of decisions. That having been said, I think DeWine's logic on this is it makes perfect sense, which is that we are telling people don't get together in groups larger than 10. Also, everyone, please line up in these particular locations so you can interact <laughs> with seniors to vote. <laughs> you know, well, at some point, you recognize the contradiction there that, wait a second, if we're really the, worried about people, you know, contracting coronavirus from interacting with people in close, you know, I mean, I suppose you can try to space people out on the line, but. People have to turn in papers, hand papers to other, et cetera. You know, it just seems like a lot of risk for a, you know, primary process that, as I discussed a moment ago, is kind of moot at this point anyway. So let's push it back a couple of months. We've already seen a bunch of other states contemplate this. Now, three others, Arizona, Florida, and uh, Illinois are all voting today. Um, Now, I understand this will not be a big issue in Chicago because a significant portion of the voters there are already dead. Um, (laughs) But... uh, you know, look. All in all, I, I, you know, we, we, on the one hand, we cannot cause our demo- our democracy to grind to a halt because of this virus. Uh, I think every state that involves mail is uh, feeling better about this. Although, until you begin to realize how many ordinary citizens have licked envelopes, and someone has to open those envelopes. Uh, that having been said, like I think we have, I think you're going to see a push for more voting by mail. We're kind of in uncharted territory here, and I think everybody's trying to do the best they can. Uh, I think Dewine is trying to, you know. M- prioritize public health. I don't understand why people are saying this is authoritarian. It strikes me as kind of a, uh, an overreaction to that. On the other hand, we cannot postpone these primaries forever. And, uh, oh, by the way, for anyone who's wondering, oh, if, we, if they do this, then Trump can postpone the election. No, it's a huge difference between postponing a primary election and pro- postponing a general election. Uh, and in case you're wondering, if Trump can't do that by himself. It would require an act of Congress. Federal law requires it to be that, uh, that Tuesday in November. 
they could move it. I mean, theoretically, Congress could, you know, act to push it back a few weeks, but the Constitution sets the term of a president at four years. January 20th, 2021, somebody's getting signed in, signed in for another term, either Trump for another term or somebody new. And that cannot be altered by uh, just Congress passing a law. So that's where we are. Um, I think DeWine was trying to do his best in difficult circumstance here. Others may see it differently, but uh, I think it's safe to say that at least for now, Getting lots of people together in polling places does not seem like a good idea when we're trying to enforce a quarantine. Jim, it's just amazing. Obviously, the circumstances have changed, but just how much they've changed in two weeks, because two weeks ago was Super Tuesday. And with everybody dropping out between South Carolina and Super Tuesday, there was this kind of throwing up the hands and, oh, my gosh, all these people voted early. And now uh, they voted for people who have dropped out and they wish they could vote for somebody else. Maybe this wasn't such a good idea. Two weeks later, everybody's saying, oh, we just got to ramp up mail-in voting and early voting so we don't have these huge lines in case we run into this come election day. So uh, circumstances change the thinking pretty fast. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, the, as we were thinking about, you know, the, the, the uh, tension between uh, uh, Biden and, and uh, Sanders heading into Super Tuesday and then, you know, mediocre Tuesday of whether, you know, Bernie Sanders had any life left in him. Uh, metaphorically, uh, his campaign had any life left in it. Now, Bernie, as far as we know, Bernie Sanders is doing okay. Um, and now we're in a situation where, you know, my colleague Dan McLaughlin is like, why is Bernie continuing this? He'd be doing the country a service by dropping out and, and not making these you know, states go through these primaries. I mean, they could still hold them, but, you know, no one feel any people obligation to vote in them when, you know, the, the contest has been decided. Um, I don't think Bernie Sanders is going to do that. He didn't do that last cycle. I see no reason to indicate he's going to do that. No, no reason to think he's going to do this this cycle. But uh, I suppose stranger things have happened. Well, Jim, I think this worked from home. And uh, if it did, we'll do it again tomorrow. See you then. You know what, listeners? We're at home. You're at home. It's a very homey podcast. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget our good friends over at NetSuite by Oracle, where you can schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Six Ways to Run a More Profitable Business. That's netsuite.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a kind review. You can also get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And please join us on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.